Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A delegation of Indigenous Canadian representatives is back from the Vatican, where Pope Francis issued an apology for past church abuses. His apology comes as Métis, First Nations, and Inuit people face an ongoing process of healing and reconciliation. We'll hear from those who are at the Vatican and others to gauge the ongoing progress toward confronting generations of past trauma. That's coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Blackfeet Tribal Court has released the names of nine people who were recently arrested on drug charges at the home of the Blackfeet Nation Tribal Chairman. Montana Public Radio's Aaron Bolton reports the arrest came after the Blackfeet Nation declared a state of emergency following a series of fentanyl overdoses and deaths. The Blackfeet Tribal Court's Chief Justice initially sealed the case following the arrest last week. The court and assistant U.S. attorney for the Blackfeet tribe, Josh Lampson, unsealed the case, releasing the names of the nine individuals arrested at the home of Blackfeet Tribal Business Council Chairman Timothy Davis. Six of those arrested share the Davis last name. Charges range from criminal sale and possession of dangerous drugs to child endangerment. Chairman Davis was not home when law enforcement searched his residence and has not been arrested. In a text message to MTPR, he said, quote, This terrible miscarriage of justice is a sham and was fake news and a political witch hunt against me and my family, end quote. All eight who were charged pleaded not guilty. A pretrial date has been set for later this month. For National Native News, I'm Aaron Bolton. A Montana court blocked two state laws Wednesday that advocates say hinder Native American voting rights. One measure would have ended Election Day registration, which Native voters rely on to cast votes. The second measure would have blocked paid ballot collection. Native voters on rural reservations often rely on the service of ballot collectors. The Montana 13th Judicial District Court of Yellowstone County granted the preliminary injunction. The challenge to the laws was brought by the Native American Rights Fund, the ACLU of Montana, the American Civil Liberties Union, and Harvard Law School's Election Law Clinic on behalf of two Native vote organizations and four tribes. A number of Alaska tribes are backing U.S. Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown-Jackson. One of the tribes is Central Council of Clinkett and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska. President Chathalish Richard Peterson says that while she does not have the most experience in Indian country law, Jackson is by far the most qualified candidate nominated to the Supreme Court in recent years. So I think her given aptitude for it is a plus for us. You know, we want people to adjudicate on the letter of the law, and we think the letter of the law favors um, a lot of the tribal cases. Other tribes and tribal organizations across Alaska have sent letters of support to the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, including the Association of Village Council Presidents, 
which represents 56 tribes in western Alaska. The letter states that a record of fairness makes her a good choice for the Supreme Court. Jackson also has support from Kuarik Heideberg Cooperative Association, Craig Tribal Association, Native Village of Eak, Akiak Native Community, Norvik Native Community, and Tanana Chiefs Conference. Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski says she'll support Jackson's nomination. Jackson is expected to be confirmed Thursday, becoming the first black woman to serve on the nation's highest court. The National Native American Hall of Fame announced Wednesday it received a grant to create an exhibit at the First Americans Museum in Oklahoma City. Interviews of inductees will be used in an oral history exhibit. Part of the Hall of Fame's mission is to educate the public about contemporary Native Americans by sharing their stories. The exhibit is expected to open in November. The award is from the Association of Tribal Archives, Libraries, and Museums. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean & Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Support by the Albuquerque Hispano Chamber of Commerce's Convention and Tourism Department, providing complete convention and visitor planning services to Hispanic and Native American conventions. Information on convention and tourism services at ahcnm.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Pope Francis says he's sorry for what he calls the deplorable conduct by some members of the Catholic Church at the residential schools they operated in Canada. The apology came during a face-to-face meeting last week with an official delegation from the Assembly of First Nations and other Canadian Aboriginals at the Vatican in Rome. Here's part of what he said. I also feel shame. I'm saying it now and I'm repeating it sorrow and shame for the role that a number of Catholics, particularly those with educational responsibilities, have had in all these things that wounded you, in the abuses you suffered and in the lack of respect shown for your identity, your culture, and even your spiritual values. All these things are contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the deplorable conduct of these members of the Catholic Church, I ask for God's forgiveness, and I want to say to you with all my heart, I am very sorry, and I join my brothers, the Canadian bishops, in asking your pardon. That was Pope Francis, through a translator, apologizing to Indigenous representatives from Canada. 
That meeting comes after decades of reconciliation efforts in Canada and a national reckoning for the mistreatment of generations of Indigenous people by the Church and the federal government. It also comes after the recent discovery of unmarked graves of several hundred Indigenous children on former residential school grounds. We have several Indigenous representatives, some who are at the Vatican, giving us their take on the Pope's apology. And you can join us. Add to our discussion by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. On the show today and joining us from Haudenosaunee Confederacy Territory is Michelle Shenandoah. She's the executive and creative director of Rematriation Magazine. She's Oneida from the Wolf Clan. Welcome back to the show, Michelle. Thank you, Noah. Grateful to be here today. Michelle, you were part of this historic indigenous delegation that met with the Pope last week. What, what did it mean to you on a personal level to, to be able to meet with Pope Francis face-to-face and address the enormity of these crimes that were inflicted upon indigenous children and their families at the hands of church-run residential schools? Well, for me, it's really not about me. It's really about all of our people, all of our indigenous peoples. And my role was um, brought in uh, closer toward uh, the departure to the Vatican and um, in which um, the delegation that was going was also seeking the role of a female spiritual advisor to match the role of the male spiritual advisor who was going so we could complement each other's work. And that invitation first went to uh, one of our clan mothers from the Mohawk Nation. She wasn't able to attend. So she appointed uh, two of us to go in her place. And um, it was decided that I would be one of the delegates to actually go in to meet with the Pope. And um, my sister, Gajijuni Fox, uh, who also traveled with me, would be helping um, in those duties and responsibilities while we were there. And... We only learned about this about 10 days before the delegation left to Rome. So we had a a very short amount of time to prepare. And in doing so, recognizing uh, the importance um, that our people's voices um, are are heard, and in particular, you know, that from our Haudenosaunee perspective. So I really made sure to check with our leadership before leaving, to inform them about this invitation that had been extended, what our role would be, and um, ensuring that the words that would be shared um, were uh, in alignment with their bigger goals, which really has to do with um, undoing these injustices, which are all tied to the doctrine of discovery that are contained within the papal bulls that uh, gave rise for European explorers to come here. And so uh, my, my particular role, in addition to that, was bringing a, a cradle board for the Pope to reflect upon uh, for an evening to think about all of the children who'd been harmed and, and for those whose lives, um, um, they, that they lost their lives, they never came home. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand that cradle board was symbolic and that you gave it to the Pope and then he gave it back. Why, why was that? Well, he didn't give it back. I, I made it very clear it was not a gift. And it, we were, I was bringing that in representation of, of all of our children across Turtle Island who have been impacted by the residential schools. And it was 
deliberately empty, right? It is an empty cradle board. So symbolically that he could also feel that loss of all those children and also to reflect upon the harms that have impacted all of our families because of residential schools. So I did tell him when I presented this that I would be returning the next day to retrieve the cradle, uh, retrieve the cradle board, and that would also be symbolic of us bringing our children back home. I understand. Okay. So about how long was this meeting with the Pope then? So there were a series of private audiences uh, with the Pope uh, throughout the week. There were three delegations. There was a Métis delegation, an Inuit delegation, and a First Nations delegation. And so they each had their own private audience for one hour. And at the end of the week, it was all concluded uh, with a general assembly um, with, with all the delegations and a secondary delegation of, of a lot of Indigenous folks who came to partake in all the activities during the week. So, but each one of the, the three delegations that went in during the beginning of the week were really quite small. And the delegation we were a part of was the largest, which had 14 delegates all together, and each one having a speaking role to the Pope. So our particular delegation, um, we had one hour of time, um, but we, in the course of our time being there, actually had two hours with the Pope. So each of you got to address him directly. And I'm curious, the, the forgiveness, did it, did it feel sincere when he spoke? Well, you know, it's a little hard to gauge because, you know, he spoke twice, once in the private um, audience with, with the, you know, the smaller group of delegates, and then he spoke during the General Assembly, and that's the one that most people are hearing the recording of out in the news. And as you, you know, heard, most of them have, you know, a, a voiceover that's in English, but when we were there, it was being spoken in Italian. So most of us actually didn't really quite know at the moment what exactly he was saying. Um, and when we were in the private audience, he seemed really very, you know, receptive to uh, what was being said. I was paying very close attention to, to the Pope and also the Catholic bishops um, who uh, were uh, involved in making this trip happen. They were also present, so they were paying attention as well and listening to all of the speeches that were being presented um, and, uh, you know, the Pope was, was receptive and at some points, you know, very quiet and, um, uh, in the sense that, you know, he had his head down and <laughs> his eyes were closed. And, but then there was other times when he was very much, you know, um, present and paying attention and seemed to be receiving the words that were heard. Um, and then um, at the very end of our private audience, he spoke for a few, mo you know, for a few minutes and, and um, everything was scripted. I, I will say that we gave our speeches that were written in advance. He had a speech that was written that he spoke in Italian and then had a translator um, tell us what happened. And in that translation, he did address colonization and the impacts upon our people and I presented the cradle board in that private audience. And he, he definitely seemed very receptive to the cradle board and actually went off script to address uh, the children, right? And um, so that seemed to certainly make an impact upon him. Um, 
But when we were in the general audience and, and um, at the end of, of our time together, when he gave his speech and it was in Italian, um, you know, he was, he was presenting it. And like I said, most people didn't know actually what was being said. There were pamphlets that were given out when we came in, but everything's happened so quickly. And it's about a six page written pamphlet. So most people didn't have a chance to read it. I personally didn't even realize that an apology was being given in that moment. I didn't realize until mm-hmm. later that evening and people said, oh, yeah, he gave an apology. It's about, you know, four or five pages in, you know, embedded within a, you know, in the middle of a paragraph. So, you know, I didn't see it or even know that the apology happened until that point. So there was not a translation during the General Assembly. And once he was done speaking and he gave a uh, an olive branch to one of uh, each of the three dele- you know, delegations. And, um, you know, he got up and he said, you know, um, I'll pray, f- you know, pray for me. I'll pray for you and bye-bye and left the room. <laughs> okay. And I, I know uh, I, I watched uh, some of a video. It looked like there was some drumming and, and singing as the de- delegation left the Vatican as well. So I'm curious to talk more about that and, you know, what, how, how the meeting started and how it ended and just a little more details. It's a really, really fascinating, fascinating conversation and learning about last week's delegation to the Vatican in Rome to meet with Pope Francis, who issued a formal apology regarding crimes and atrocities at residential schools in Canada. If you have a question or a comment, please do not hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you today and get any feedback regarding this interesting discussion. The number 1-800-996-2848, 1-800-996-2848. Phone lines are open. We'd love to hear from you. You're listening to Native America Calling, and we're going to be back after this short break. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about residential school reconciliation today. As you know, residential schools are akin to boarding schools in the U.S. So what do you think about Pope Francis apologizing for the conduct of church officials and educators who ran the schools? Join the conversation, 1-800-996-2848, 1-800-996-2848. I'd like to bring our next guest into the show now. Speaking with us from Namaska. In Quebec, Canada is Mandy Golmasti. She is the Grand Chief of the Cree Nation of Iyoishti. Welcome to the show, Grand Chief Golmasti. Okay, I think we don't have Grand Chief Golmasti. Hello? Hello, Tess. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, perfect. I can hear I can hear as well. Okay. Okay, great. Yeah, I just wanted to welcome you to the show. Thank you for joining us. And uh, or before we went to break, we were listening to Michelle Shenandoah, and she was talking about the delegation that went to the Vatican, met with Pope Francis, uh, heard the apology that was issued in Italian. And she also talked about the cradle board that was used uh, as, as a symbolic gesture there with the Pope. And I understand uh, that cradle board was from, from your community. Is that right, Chief Golmasti? Uh, no, actually, Michelle did bring in the cradle board from the Haudenosaunee Nation. So I'm, I think that she worked with her grandmother to prepare that cradle board. And I think that Michelle, uh, she was one of our spiritual advisors. She was the female spiritual advisor. And I think that her coming with that cradle board and presenting it to Pope Francis and asking him 
to keep it overnight as a symbolic gesture to really uh, taking that first step to work with, with Indigenous people was something that was very powerful. So I was really pleased uh, that she undertook that initiative and I was glad to see that it was returned to her as well. And Michelle also did inform me that um, the Pope had asked that she greet him uh, with that cradle board when he comes to Canada. Okay, thank you for that clarification. Now, Chief Gomesti, were you part of the delegation that went to Rome or did you stay home? Uh, no, I was one of the official delegates. So every province was able to appoint uh, one delegate. I was the representative for Quebec. So in total, uh, we were about 13. We went into a private audience with the Pope on Thursday, March 31st. We had been working for months. I think it was almost six months that we were working on this message. Uh, and it was input from everybody, not only the delegates, but also our uh, support workers, our spiritual advisors, other you know members that participated in, in, our, in our preparation sessions. I was uh, one of the delegates that I read the section regarding reparations and the role that the church had in coming up with uh, a fund for reparations and reviewing the reparations that they had claimed as well. I understand. Okay, so yeah, I understand uh, reparations, compensation, as well as um, the release of, of documents and records there at the residential school. So what was the response when, when those, um, those needs were addressed? I think that when we had when we had our private uh, audience with the Pope, it was a very intimate space. It was the delegates and the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops that join us as well. And when we spoke to him and shared our stories, we did have residential school survivors that shared what they had gone through, the impact on their lives. We talked about intergenerational trauma. We talked about the need for an apology and a, a visit from the Pope to come to Canada and deliver that apology in, on Canadian soil to Indigenous members to ensure that the Church uh, creates a safe space for all members, not only those that are Indigenous. Reparations and the youth, we had two youth delegates that were really amazing. They came and delivered a message on behalf of the National Chief Rosanna Archibald here in Canada with the Assembly of First Nations. And I felt that the Pope was very open and listening. You know, that was one of the things that I felt that he really uh, was looking for information on how to approach this journey of reconciliation. I think that everybody across Canada last year felt the impact of the 215 graves that were found in the Kamloops uh, Residential Boarding School on their, on their traditional territories. I know that the Pope released a statement. He felt that he was very shocked, surprised. He wanted to know more about the residential school. And this is really what queued up this delegation to travel to the Vatican. The Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops organized for us to meet him in person at the Vatican to share a message of, you know, how to prepare himself for this journey to Canada, what the potential impacts could be, and what his messaging should focus on. And the intention was not to go there to receive an apology from him, but was really to go there to prepare himself to understand what he should be expecting when he travels to Canada. Okay. And the formal apology, I know there were some doubts as to whether or not he would actually do that. So were you at all surprised or relieved when you heard those words of apology? 
even after the fact, after they were translated from Italian? Um, yes, I was actually quite surprised. I did feel that he had indicated and his response to us and how he received us and all of the work that was put into this, to me, indicated that there would be some kind of positive announcement. When the three delegations went in to receive the Pope's remarks after he had had a private audience with all of them, I was really surprised with what he shared. And I was not, I was not so much surprised by the aspect of his apology because when he gave that apology, he was really speaking directly to the survivors that were there in the room. And I think that that's something that I've because there was no media in the room, I felt like it was kind of taken out of context, like he's formally apologizing. I think his intent was really to address the stories that had been shared with him. And he did also say, when I come to Canada, I will share more. So I have a, an expectation and I have you know, confidence in him that he will come to Canada and speak more directly about the role of the church in the residential school system. Hearing those words, I think for some people that were uh, part of the delegation, it was very uplifting, very open. For some people, they were really caught off guard. Uh, but for me, I think he was really setting the tone with the Catholic Church. And he was setting that tone to indicate, we are going to do this. It's from the highest level. This is the message. And these are my, you know, this is the direction that I'm going to seek in, in working with Indigenous peoples. Okay. And I'm curious to know any of the addresses that were made by the delegation that you were a part of, and it sounds like you read some, some remarks and were there, um, were there any parts where the, the tone or any of the, 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 the stories or any of the issues that were put before the, the Pope, were there any points where it was, it was harsh? Like it was a very, very strong worded, direct, like really really putting it out there, really calling the church on, really really putting it on on the Pope? Or were it, was it more respectful? Was the tone more more moderate? I'm just curious to know what the tone would have been like. I'm just fascinated by this this whole conversation and this whole delegation. And, and I, I'm just curious, what was that what was that like? Because I would think, I mean, I know a lot of people have a, a lot of really long, deep standing issues, a lot of resentment, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. And I'm curious if that was projected through some of these remarks that were made to, to Pope Francis. I think it was. You know, to be honest, it was really challenging to prepare this message because we did want to be respectful of his position as the present Pope. You know, we are not holding him as an, ind an individual accountable for these actions, but we spoke of the responsibility of the church and their involvement and the impact that they had in the implementation of running and managing these schools. So I think that our message was one that was very clear, very firm, uh, and I think it was, you know, kind of like your grandmother. When, when she tells you that you've done something wrong, she doesn't give it to you in the harshest way. It was a, a gentle rebuke, I guess I would I would put it in that sense, that we were there to say a harm had been done to us. We were there to say we are still impacted by it. And here's our expectations of how we are open to work with you in undertaking this healing process. So it was challenging. Mm -hmm. I think our first version of the message was probably more intense than the last one. 
But I'm really proud of the work that the delegation did. I think they were very respectful and they were very honest. Okay. I, again, I, I just can't imagine what that would be like. Um, and, and I, you know, I can kind of compare it to maybe like meeting a U.S. president. And I've heard interviews with U.S. presidents before, and they'll say sometimes when, when people will come to the White House and they have very strong grievances to address and they're really fired up and they're going to really lay into the U.S. president about what happened or what their issue is. And then they get there and they go into the Oval Office and they're just surrounded by all of that history and that whole aura. And it's a very humbling experience. And it's, it's kind of overwhelming to them. And they, they, they kind of they scale back a little bit. And I, I'm curious because I, I am a non-practicing Catholic um, and, and I, I certainly have a lot of issues with the Catholic Church. But I think if if I was in that delegation, I feel like I would be be, be kind of overwhelmed and I feel like I'd kind of cave and just be like, oh, my gosh, I'm here meeting with the Pope. I'm in the Vatican. Uh, I, I don't know that I'd be as effective as it sounds like uh, a lot of you folks were. So I really, really admire and praise you for that, for, for having that boldness and having that strength to meet directly with the Pope like that and, and, and say those words. We have a caller on the line. He's listening on Saskatchewan, uh, online in Saskatchewan, Canada. Makah, Makah, you're on the, on the air. Hi, thanks. Um, yeah, it's pretty close to home. My Dene husband was uh, abused by the priest at the boarding school in uh, Saskatchewan, and my daughter suffers from intergenerational trauma. So it's it's all pretty close, and I totally appreciate this conversation and the the layers and the depth and the you know talking about the tone and what it's like to actually be there, you know, and speak your truth once you're actually in that you know fired up kind of setting, you know, which is pretty charged up. Mm-hmm. And and why I wanted to phone in, I was very um, I'm happy to hear Michelle mention that part of her um, presentation had to do with the doctrine of discovery. And when I first learned about the doctrine of discovery a few years ago, the light bulbs just went on. And it's like, why isn't this taught in grade 10 social studies? Everybody needs to know about this, um, you know, underlying consciousness, uh, this underlying uh, motivation that created all this colonization and genocide on this continent. But anyways, I'm just curious that the other delegates brought up the doctrine of discovery and if that discussion about that particular, um, you know, source of all this um, was was part of the discussion. Well, thank you for that question, Makai. And let's go ahead and, and ask Michelle. Michelle, the doctrine of discovery, was that mentioned and addressed with uh, with your meetings there with Pope Francis? Yeah, it absolutely was. Right from the very beginning and the opening <clears throat> with Grand Chief Antoine, he opened up talking about the doctrine of discovery, and it led into um, then hearing from survivors. And, and I have to say, I was so moved by the elders because when, you know, they, when all of us came, I don't think anybody was moved by all of the opulence and the grandeur and certainly recognizing that it was a moment, but everybody went in with a purpose and fulfilled that purpose. And I was really very moved by how much, you know, that, that moment was, um, being fulfilled and being fulfilled with all of our ancestors and and all of the children um, who who came into that space with us 
And hearing all of the messages, you know, the doctrine of discovery was certainly touched upon many times um, by some of the um, other elders and chiefs that were there. But in particular, when it came around uh, towards the end, the two youth delegates uh, presented and both uh, just gave incredibly powerful speeches and both addressed the doctrine of discovery. And then within my closing as well, I really focused heavily in on the doctrine of discovery. So there was no mistaking um, that that was part of the discussions that that were needed to be had and that revoking this doctrine of discovery was was supremely important uh, to be able to move forward in a good way. Also, when the uh, cradle board was returned, it, it wasn't part of the General Assembly for some reason. I really don't understand. But. Uh, the uh, Catholic um, bishops, bishops of Canada, um, you know, came after the General Assembly to return this to me, um, and at that time, you know, said that the the Pope had wished to see the uh, the cradle board again uh, when he comes to Canada. And at that moment, I said, "That's great." I said because my clan mother, you know, or well, our clan mother, one of our clan mothers here from the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, that she would come and she would have words to share with the Pope as well. And at that moment, I made sure to say that this doctrine of discovery has to be revoked and that there are so many leaders across all of our nations that are seeking this. And they did say that when they come back to Canada, they would have those discussions. So I encourage our leaders from across our nations to to hold them to that word um, in which they shared with me and to make sure that those conversations are had, because that's also a conversation that will be um, brought to the Pope in his preparation for him coming to Canada. Okay. And I understand that uh, Pope Francis hopes to visit Canada as soon as July. So we'll see if that if that visit happens as well. Um, Chief Galmasti, forgiveness uh, it's a strong word, and I know many indigenous peoples in Canada, they're not ready to forgive the Church for what happened. They feel that this apology and this delegation meeting with the Pope, it's, it's a definitely a step in, in the right direction, but but they're not ready for, for an apology, or excuse me, for forgiveness, and they still have a lot of issues. It's a mixed reception, more or less. And I'm curious to know, how do you feel, Chief Golmasti? Do you forgive the Church for these wrongdoings? I think that, you know, first I want to address the part about how this delegation was viewed. I There were mixed reactions to it. I myself encountered some individuals that were really not pleased. They did not support it. And then I had survivors tell me, you know what, this is an important step. So go and participate. And in sharing that with the delegation, all of them shared those sentiments that they each encountered those those two responses. And, you know, we are all in our own place on our healing journey. I think all of the reactions were extremely appropriate, you know, be mm-hmm. it coming from a place of anger or coming from a place of forgiveness. And for me, I really believe that the first step in undertaking, you know, your healing journey and coming to uh, Addressing the impacts, the intergenerational impacts and trauma from residential school really begins with dialogue. Okay. 
Well, folks, if you've got a question or a comment, please give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We're going to be back right after this short break. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about last week's apology issued by Pope Francis. We'll hear more from the indigenous delegates who were there. And there's still time to join our conversation. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And Chief Gomasti, before we went to break, uh, you were describing some of the mixed reactions from delegates that were there following their meetings with Pope Francis. And and you mentioned the importance of, of dialogue and Michelle mentioned uh, the possibility of a visit by Pope Francis to Canada later this year. So uh, I'd really like to know uh, where do we go from here? Next steps. What is uh, what's the next uh, the next step in terms of moving this whole issue forward and this whole process of reclamation and uh, righting these wrongs, these terrible wrongs in the past? I think the work is really twofold um, on the Indigenous Nations side. I believe that, you know, going to residential school was an individual experience, but as a nation, we need to prepare what our position is and in terms of moving forward, having a dialogue. What are the next steps? What kind of work are we seeking to move forward with? What kind of actions do we want to see from the church? And I think that the church has their own workload to really consult with Indigenous peoples to understand what their expectations are for healing, what kind of services they're looking for. You know, I have to remind uh, the Catholic Church that we asked for reparations because there is a lack of access to um, medical and psychosocial support for Indigenous people. Some communities are still facing water boil advisories, cannot expect them to see a psychologist or to to, to have, you know, psychosocial support. So we really need to have an open and honest dialogue between the two to see what kind of commitments and what kind of expectations uh, are set by each side. Now, regarding the compensation, um, what, 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 do you, what would that look like in your mind in terms of what would be fair and just compensation for, for all these atrocities? I can't even begin to, to contemplate what a number would be myself. That is a really tough question. I know that they were mandated to come up with a $25 million fund, which they have claimed uh, portional payment uh, uh, through in-kind services. But I think that they need to be objective and really have that uh, expense verified by an independent third party. They should not be allowed to unilaterally decide uh, that they've they've reached payment. I really couldn't put a number. You cannot put a number on... The healing of a survivor and you cannot calculate the impact on intergenerational trauma. I, I really don't know. That is something that I think there's going to have to be a lot of discussion to see what that means. Mm-hmm. 
I heard, I read one report that one of the delegates had mentioned that the fact that there were delegations, Inuit, an Inuit delegation, a Métis delegation, and the First Nations delegation, all three standing there together, supporting one another, um, there at the Vatican. It was just a, a really, really powerful moment. Can you talk about that? Just the three groups of, of indigenous peoples in Canada coming together like that? Yes, I really appreciated the fact that we came. I wish that we would have been able to um, have more time in person together. We were not able to meet the Inuit and Métis delegates. We, we worked through Zoom due to COVID, but I really wish that we would have had more time to have open dialogue amongst the groups to you know, better understand one another's expectations. We did have feedback from them, you know, once they came out of their private audience. So we felt, you know, prepared based on their feedback. But I really believe as a delegation, we support each individual nation. I know in inviting the Pope, there were calls for him to come to Winnipeg in Manitoba. There is the Truth and Reconciliation Museum. I support his travel to Kamloops, the site where those unmarked graves were found. But I believe he has to travel to the Métis Nation and the Inuit territory as well. He has to spend time with each of the nations in their home territories. Mm -hmm. Well, Michelle, Chief Gomasti mentioned uh, this issue of compensation and and how hard it is to put a price on, on what that could possibly be. So, I'm curious, Michelle, what are your thoughts in terms of, if not money, what will promote healing in these communities? Well, I think it's very important to understand the source of where all of this pain comes from. And the residential schools are such a large part of what has impacted our, our communities across Turtle Island. I think that's one of the things that becomes really very important is the recognition of the devastating impacts. They're, they're just wide-reaching. And working within the space of colonial borders is, um, you know, the, the one approach that, you know, is, is being taken. It's, it's interesting because, um, you know, for um, my um you know, the nations of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, we exist, um, you know, the, the borders of U.S. and Canada went right through our territories. So we're, we're in both spaces and continually contending with jurisdictions um, on both sides of, of those um, imposed borders. And thinking about, you know, how to move forward is really the recognition of, of who we are as people and understanding that these impacts are real, that they are far reaching and have traveled through the generations, but looking at the source of them. And I think one thing I discovered was that when we were there, the church has really sort of created some distance between itself and, and in taking responsibility for the doctrine of discovery and for the people bulls that contain the doctrine of discovery. And in the past, they have spoken out against them, but in terms of actually revoking them and rebuking them and not allowing for colonial nation states to rely upon them anymore, to me, the way I see that and the way I understand from among many of our our leaders and our people would be one of the, the best remedies. 
because while the church creates distance between itself and, say, the United States or Canada or any of the other countries that rely upon this, um, they still have to take responsibility because that's where it generated from. And it's been over 500 years of a long genocide that continues to still impact our nations to this day. And it plays mm-hmm. itself out in the laws that we interact with every day. And the way that all of non-Indigenous settlers who've come here to Turtle Island, how they treat us, how they look at us, how they view us. And until that doctrine and the truth of it really comes to the forefront and people reject it and no longer rely upon it, then there's a real opportunity for people to see we are human beings alike, right? And for real justice to be brought for our communities, which is long overdue. And Michelle, what are you hearing from other indigenous people? I mean, as we mentioned, the apology has had a mixed reception. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that uh, Chief Mandy Golmasti, you know, did, um, you know, point to that and that there's so many different reactions and every single one is legitimate. Everyone is on a different space of our healing journey. So there are many who, you know, the pain is, is very real and very present and there's some who've had an opportunity to go through other spaces of healing and, and, and maybe even arrive at a place where they're ready to hear an apology or be willing to forgive. And, and every single one of those is correct, right? We have to acknowledge that as people, we have so much that's happened to us. And yet there's also been so much resilience and so much healing that has also happened throughout all of our nations and our communities and within our families and even as individuals and the recognition that we're all in different spaces. So we have to hold each other in that way. There's no one way that is correct or that's wrong, but we have to be able to embrace all of that and recognize that we've been a people who have had genocide inflicted upon us. And so all of those reactions are correct, right? But the important piece now is how are we moving forward, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and Chief Golmasti, down here in the States, uh, Native people, we have our own legacy with with boarding schools, um, similar in some ways to what went on in Canada, and dissimilar in other ways. We certainly... um, you know, boarding schools were only compulsory in the United States until about the 1930s. So your legacy, unfortunately, lasted much longer. But I'm curious, after a meeting with the Pope and being part of this dele- this delegation and just dealing with these issues, this trauma and everything, any words of, of wisdom or advice to Native peoples here in the U.S.? Because we're, we're in this struggle, too, but we're at a different point in the struggle than you folks are in Canada. So what are your thoughts towards folks down here in, in the States? I think really sharing a message of accountability. It was many years that Indigenous people traveled throughout the world, shared their experience, shared a call to hold the Canadian government accountable. There was a lot of work. There was a lot of discussions at various levels of government, seeking support, seeking, uh, you know, other groups, organizations, institutes that would be willing to advocate on your behalf. 
uh, and to bring that discussion in as many spaces as possible. And my hopes for me with, you know, this process with the Catholic Church is I do hope that they will see what the impact of this is and become an advocate for those countries that implemented residential school systems on First Nations people, Indigenous Nations peoples. I think that they are really could be an exceptional advocate if they take ownership of this and, you know, have their own call to action to support Indigenous people throughout the world. Okay. And, and we talked earlier about the compensation uh, issue, but also there are, are these calls for the church to release uh, records from the uh, residential schools as well. And what do you think about, what's the possibility of that? Are you optimistic that the church will release those records in the near future? I think if they truly want to proceed with reconciliation, it is a must. You know, I understand that these are historical documents. It does take somebody who's qualified and certified to handle them. I think that preparing to receive Indigenous researchers to access this information is 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 required as a next step for them. This is something that was really important to my nation. We wanted to have access to the documents. We wanted to know what happened to the students who went there, to the ones who didn't come home, and what had happened to them, why they were not able to come home. And that was really a big question for for the Cree Nation. So I think that we need to understand what their protocols are in handling historical documents, but I don't think that they can, you know, expect to have reconciliation without giving access to that information. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on those records, Michelle? I concur. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Uh, just really, really fascinating. So possibility that the Pope will return in July. Do you have any, uh, like, who's the point of contact that you, that these delegations are communicating with there at the Vatican and how are these meetings getting arranged? And I'm curious to know what that process is like. Um, Chief Gomasti, could you comment on that? The Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops is preparing to receive him. So it will be through the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops that they Uh, provide information to the Assembly of First Nations, the Métis Nation, and the Inuit group. And then they should be coming back and informing the delegates, I'm going to assume, throughout the spring so that we can prepare. Uh, I myself personally intend to take uh, survivors and community members and support staff who wish to be in the audience with the Pope to hear him speak. Uh, If they want to attend, I fully support that process. Uh, But it is going to be a logistical, uh, you know, a lot of logistical work. So I think that there's going to be information that has to be uh, presented to us fairly soon. Okay. Well, listeners, we have just about reached the end of the hour. And I would like to say thank you to our guests, Grand Chief Mandy Golmasti and Michelle Shenandoah for this insightful overview of the Pope's apology to Indigenous peoples in Canada. And we will definitely continue to follow these developments here on Native America Calling and hope to do another show in the future when um, perhaps Pope Francis visits Canada later this year. Before we end the show today, I want to share some sad news. Earlier this week, we lost someone well-known to Native America Calling listeners, Melvin Houston, a frequent contributor to the show, 
passed away. Melvin was a dedicated listener and always had something insightful to contribute to our discussions. And we here at Native America Calling, we got to know Melvin pretty well over the years, and we learned a lot from him. In addition to being a respected Santee Dakota elder, Melvin was also a boarding school survival. So with that, we offer our sincere condolences to his family, his many friends, and to all of those who will miss hearing his voice on the show. Melvin, safe travels to the spirit world, brother. Please join us tomorrow. We're going to be back with another live show. We have a discussion about mistreatment and neglect of Native inmates and facilities operated by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And this was uncovered by a news investigation. So that show will be again tomorrow live. Please tune in, join us. We always love to have our listeners comment with questions and ideas to expand the dialogue here on Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Thanks for listening to the one, the only, Native America Calling. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org. CMS programs are available to help manage diabetics in your community. Enroll today. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.